Victory fam. Hey guys, good morning, good afternoon, wherever we are. Uh, all around the world, welcome in today. Um, hey, a little bit about me, uh, if you don't know, uh, a little snapshot of my story. So I graduated high school in 1997. I graduated from college in 2001, and just earlier this year, I finally graduated seminary after four years, goodness gracious. Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a few of you precious people have had the audacity then to ask me, hey, when are you going to get your doctorate? <laughs> when I am old, because <laughs> um, I've had enough school for, for this season of my life, because if you've been in school for any amount of time, you know this is how it works, right? You receive all your teaching, and then it's time to take your, your test. Any of y'all hate taking tests? Any of y'all the freaks who like taking tests? Oh, all right. Um, I, well, I got, I got bad news for some of us um, because life is full of tests. Have you found that out yet? Like life is full of tests. And here's the reality. In the test of life, uh, it's not about whether or not you've accumulated some information. The real test of life are have you integrated the information into your life? Right? Have what you learned actually changed who you are? Did it go in one ear and out the other? Were you just a hearer or were you a doer of what you learned? So in other words, let's make it real. Um, the police officer does not care if you know what the speed limit is. Did you do the speed limit? Come on. You get pulled over, be like, oh, officer, it's okay. I know the, the speed limit was only 55. And he's like, well, you were doing 105. You clearly had not integrated the information into your life to the point that it changed you, so therefore you failed the test. And the same thing is true in living for God. Listen, this, this whole thing about receiving teachings, hearing sermons, reading the Bible, listen, it's not just about the accumulation of information. Did the information lead to transformation in your life? It's not enough to hear it. Did I do it? Did I apply it? Am I living this thing out, right? Because here we are, guys. We've spent pretty much the whole year in the Sermon on the Mount, like the whole year, and we're about to land the plane, man, okay? We, for the first time ever, we spent uh, pretty much the whole year in the best sermon ever, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, and so we talked about the blessed way of life in the Beatitudes. We looked about uh, a God's blueprint for sexuality and holiness. We talked about prayer and fasting. We, we looked uh, at how to handle money God's way. We looked at uh, the golden rule and doing to others as uh, we would have them doing to us. And what does it look like to judge others in this world that we live in? Uh, we looked both ways at heaven, hell, false prophets, false disciples. And now today, everybody say today. today. It's time to graduate from Sermon on the Mount University. It's time to graduate. But remember, after the teaching comes the test. Here's how Jesus says it, Matthew 7, verse 24. These are the final words of the Sermon on the Mount. In the NIV, it actually says, therefore. In other words, everything that I've said for the last three chapters, here's the ESV. Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and, everybody say and, and does them will be like a wise man. Anybody out here want to be wise? Yeah, come on. Who built their house on the rock. Well, what else would you build your house on? 
Because the rain's gonna fall and the flood's gonna come and the winds are gonna blow and they're gonna beat on that house, but it's not going to fall because it's been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. Come on, it's never good when Jesus goes Mr. T on you. I pity the fool who hear what I teach and don't build his house on the rock. Instead, he builds his house on the sand because the rain's gonna fall, the floods are gonna come, the winds are gonna blow and beat against that house and it's gonna fall and great will be the fall of it. And what Jesus is saying right here, guys, is after all the teaching, after the three chapters, after the year that we've been through, after all the teaching comes the test. And this test is not like a number two pencil, Scantron, multiple choice, come on, select C and you might just get lucky sort of a test, right? No, the test is your life. The test is, are we not just going to hear what Jesus has said? The test is, are we going to do it? Because here's the thing. I don't know if you just saw this, but Jesus just made a promise. And listen, I know, I know we live in this world. Everybody lies. There's one who does not lie. God is not a man that he should lie. God keeps his promises. God is devoted to keeping his promises. So listen, whenever God makes a promise, pay attention. Because if you, if you do what he says to do, he will keep that promise over your life. And God just made a promise. So Jesus' promise is not for those who only hear the word. Jesus' promise is for those who live out, those who do, those who build on his word. And he says this, if you build on the rock of God and his way and on his word, that when the storms come, you'll still be found standing strong. That's the promise. That's the promise. And he's going to keep that promise. And how many of you find out storms are going to come? right? And storms come in every way, shape, size. Storms can come one day, or they can be for a long time. They can just be for a day. Storms can be a sickness, a fight, a drama, political stuff, family stuff, work stuff, health stuff. They can be SEC championships. They can be, um, (laughs) it can be bad days and good days. They, they They can be long seasons. They can just be one afternoon, whatever it is. Storms are gonna come. And here's the thing. I don't know if you noticed this, but Jesus actually just says there in the Sermon on the Mount, he says storms are gonna come for everybody, the righteous and the wicked. Anybody found that one out before? So family, real quick, real quick, real quick. We have to deal with this toxic lie that's even invaded Christianity. This says if you're a nice little Christian, God will take away all your troubles. Guys, that ain't true. That ain't in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever read the Bible, Pretty much everybody gets murdered. (laughs) So I don't know where your theology came from that says that God's gonna spare you from all the troubles, right? In fact, Jesus says in this world, you'll have troubles. That's not many of us, that's our memory verse for the week, right? (laughs) Like he says in this world, you'll have troubles, but take heart because I've overcome the world. In other words, this storm that's coming against you will not overcome you because I've already overcome it. And Jesus makes a promise to his people that, listen, you may take a beating in life. The wind and the waves beat against that house. You may take a beating in this life. But, and so don't find it strange whenever you find yourself in the fiery trials, right? Because Jesus never promises smooth sailing, but he does promise that he'll be with you in the boat in the midst of the storm. And I don't know about you guys, but um, this last season has been stormy for me. 
Anybody, am I the only one? I know some of you are like, I don't know. Should I be honest in church? I don't know. (laughs) Nah, man, like family stuff, friend stuff, health stuff, church stuff, work stuff, life stuff. Um, I, I, I felt over the last few months, even like, you ever just felt like you're on the, like the little life raft and the waves are like, wash, wash, wash. And you're like, I'm getting sick to my stomach, man. Like, I don't wanna do this much longer. And, and in complete honesty, like, there's, there's been a few moments, a few days where I'm like, can I just pull the covers back over my head? Like, just live in here, like, for a, a month or two, you know? Um, I, I, was, I said at last service, uh, but I said, you know, uh, there, there's been a day or two, I'm just gonna be honest, where I was, like, driving into church, and I'm like, hmm, I could be in Florida, I think, before they'd notice, you know? <laughs> it is real. Like, like, storms hit sometimes. And I, I found myself this last Thursday, I was on a Zoom call with, uh, with some pastor friends around the country, and we were just kind of talking about life. And, and I just said, guys, like, I just wanna be honest. I feel like, the best way I know how to put it is this. I feel like God's been giving me just enough grace for the day. Like, like remember when the Hebrews got set free from Egypt, right? And they're wandering around the wilderness and God feeds them manna, right? In other words, they just wake up in the morning and there's, they call it manna. It's like little vanilla wafers on the ground, right? And manna literally means, what is this? What is it? Like, they didn't know. Like you ever just walk outside and there's food there? Like that, they're like, what is this, right? That's manna. And, and I said, I feel like pretty much every morning I wake up, I'm like, God, I'm tired. I, like, I just kind of want to coast by the day and I get myself in prayer and all of a sudden I get this grace manna. And I'm like, what is this? <laughs> what is this? And I take it into my life. I'm like, okay, I can do today. I can do today. I got enough for today but I'm gonna have to come right back here tomorrow and get enough for tomorrow. And, and I feel like that's what God is saying, that's what I promise for you. That in the midst of the storm, I'm gonna help you make it in the storm. The storm's not gonna take you out. I'm gonna give you just enough for today when you build your life on me. I know God has not abandoned me, so I'm not gonna abandon him. Come on, I know the same God of the mountaintop is the God of the valley. Come on, God is right with me. He will not leave me. He will not forsake me. He'll be with me to the very end of the age. I know these things. So we have to remain built right there. And when we're built on him, he will not fail us. In fact, I'd say it like this, guys. Let me say it like this. Is it to those who build their life on him, God does not promise to spare you from the storm, but he does promise to sustain you through the storm. He promises not to spare you, but to sustain you through the storm. To sustain means to support the weight of, to prop you up, to keep you going. And here's what that means, guys. If you want you to stand strong your whole life, you will build your whole life on the word of God. If you wanna stand strong your whole life, then you gotta build your whole life, not just the Sunday morning part of it. You gotta build your whole life, your Monday through Sunday, every single waking moment. If you're gonna stand strong your whole life, you gotta build your whole life on God and on his word. Because Jesus says it right here. If we build our life on anything else, that thing is sand. Here's the idea of sand. Sand is anything that can change. Okay, it's politics. Come on, somebody. It's, it's sexual feelings, It's opinions of culture. And here's what I know. Governments rise and fall. Opinions come and go. Culture changes every 30 seconds. 
and the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And we live in a world where everything changes except for Jesus. Everything changes except for Jesus. And let me just say it, guys. If you feel like you're falling apart in the storms of life, what it's doing, it's revealing that you've built part, at least part of your life on sand and things that can change. Because in the midst of the storm, your foundation is gonna shift and it can't support you. But God makes a promise. If you build your life on him, he will sustain your foundation in the midst of the storm because he's not sand, he's a solid rock. He's a solid rock. So since we're at our graduation ceremony from the Sermon on the Mount University, now that we've heard the teaching, it's time to take the test. And to those who pass the test, those who show that they're not just hearers, but they're doers of the word, those who have conformed their life around the life of Jesus, they're the ones who are gonna be sustained in the storm. So I know you're probably asking, how do I take the test? When do I take the test? Where, where, where do I take the test? Can you give me the cheat sheet? Okay, now let me say it like this. I believe that there are, if we could boil it all the way down, I think there are three questions on the test. And if we can pass these questions, and listen, we get asked these questions pretty much every single day. If we can stay faithful to, to pass this test every single day, then our life will remain built on the word of God and we will be sustained in every single storm that comes our way. So today, what I wanna do, I wanna look at the life of a man who went through the storm, took the test, passed it, and came out better on the other side. How many of you know it's actually possible to come out better on the other side of the storm because of what the trial produces in you, right? So today, what I want us to do, I want, to, I want us to learn from one of God's Hall of Famers. I want to learn from one of God's greats, Daniel. Daniel. So um, 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 I actually spoke a little bit on this about a month ago at our youth conference. Got any of our students who are here at the youth conference? Okay, awesome. They're over there. That's actually better because you're not going to be hearing it twice. Um, but if you are a student, maybe you're online, go ahead and nudge your parent and be like, it's about to be good. Um, why do I want to look at this? Because Daniel shows us how to thrive in the midst of the storms in a crumbling culture. Now, a little bit of context, right? If you don't kind of know the history of things. All right, so if you go back into the Old Testament, actually take your Bible, split it in half, go a little bit to the right, and that's Daniel. All right, and in Daniel, the book of Daniel, what we actually see is the cycle repeating itself over and over and over again. What you see all the way through the Old Testament is that uh, God's people, the Israelites, rebel against God, and he sends prophets, he calls them back, and they come back for like a day, and then they go again, then he calls them back, and they come back for like a year, and then they go. And uh, as judgment, what God does sometimes to get their attention, he allows foreign armies to come in and invade. And so if you're taking notes, 587 BC, the Babylonian army uh, led by King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and invades and conquers Jerusalem and leads off a bunch of the population into captivity because here was the Babylonian kind of rule of law is when we conquer another kingdom, we kidnap their best and their brightest, pretty much their teenagers, and we bring them back to Babylon to indoctrinate them in the ways of Babylon so they can be the future leaders of our society. You starting to understand why I did this to the teenagers like a month ago? So what they do is they kidnap the kids, they bring them back, indoctrinate them so they can sustain the culture moving forward. 
So King Nebuchadnezzar commands his official to do this with some of the, the Jewish boys that they just kidnapped. So here, here it is, Daniel 1, verse 4. It says, this official was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. So listen, guys, this is kind of the definition of a storm. Right, they are kidnapped, they're brought into a foreign culture with foreign values, and they're trying to be assimilated into the thinking, the believing, and the living of that culture that, that, that's uh, idolatrous, that's uh, full of magic, false religion, sexual immorality, lies, pride, greed, offense, hatred, anger, and war. And they're trying to be indoctrinated into this thing. And among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and for some reason, some of the names stuck and some of them didn't. And the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. I love that. They looked at Azariah, they're like, you're not an Azariah. You're more of an Abednego, right? And uh, here's what happens. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are officially now enrolled in the University of Babylon. And here's the surprise. It's the same university that you're enrolled in as well. That we've all been airdropped into Babylon. Listen, 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 listen. Babylon may not be a nation any longer, but you look even into Revelation and they're still talking about Babylon. So a place called Babylon's not here, but the spirit of Babylon is still here. Spirit of Babylon, a, a nation founded on sexual morality and greed and offense and false religion and hatred. Anybody picking up the cues? Babylon is anywhere where Christ is not allowed to be king. Babylon is anywhere where you're trying to live for God, but everything around you is trying to get you to live the opposite direction. You're enrolled in the University of Babylon. And as in any school, there are tests. And these tests right here, in the University of Babylon, we find three tests that we must pass to build our lives on God, on his word, so we'll be sustained in the storm. And the first test is this. First test in Babylon is, are you going to live like Babylon? Simple question, difficult answer. Are you going to live like Babylon? Because here's what happens in the story, and we'll catch back up with it. They are given the best of the best of the best food from the king's table. Come on, they're given bacon-wrapped fillets. Come on, Jesus. Side of lobster. Come on. And Daniel looks at it and is like, nope, nope. Why? Because God had already told them how to eat. Now, here's the deal. I'm gonna have a bacon wrap filet today. You better believe it. Because I live in the New Testament, not in the Old Testament. These guys didn't have the New Covenant. Praise God for the blood. So this, re listen, this really isn't about the food. It's about, are we going to do it God's way when God has already told us how to live? So am I going to live like God tells me how to live or am I gonna live like Babylon tells me how to live? So Daniel asked one of the officials and he says, hey, can we eat the way that God has told us to live? Can we, can, we, can we do it God's way? And the guy's like, absolutely not. Because if you eat that way and you end up weak and sick, the king's gonna kill me because I didn't do my job. And so they say, hey, hey, here's the deal. Let us do it God's way for 10 days. And if we're not better, then you can come in and do it your way. And he's like, bet. So Daniel 1 verse 15 says, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. 
So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. That's fun. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them. And he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. I love this. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. When Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew what God had called them to do and encountered Babylon that called them to live different, they disobeyed Babylon rather than disobeying God. And because they honored God, God honored them, and he gifted them, he promoted them, and he made them 10 times better. And they graduated at the top of their class, listen, not because they were like everybody else, but because they were different than everybody else. Our job is not to just be a little bit better than all the losers. No, our job is to live God's way. And when we do, he'll make us 10 times better, 10 times better. So the first test in Babylon is, are you going to live like Babylon? Well, the first answer in Babylon is, I will not compromise. Come on, fam, let's say it together. I will not compromise. One more time. I will not compromise. Here's what they're saying. I won't eat your food, yet I'll be stronger. I won't live your way, yet I'll be better. Come on, let's bring it into the Beatitudes. I'm gonna be poor in spirit, yet I'm gonna walk taller. I mourn, yet I rejoice. I'm meek, yet I'm gonna inherit the earth. Let's take it further into the Sermon on the Mount. I stay with my wife when you cheat on yours, yet we're gonna be happier. I don't look at porn, yet I'm gonna have more passion. I don't ascribe to all your little personal truths, yet because I know the one living truth. Come on, ladies, I don't show more skin, yet I got more confidence. Come on, fellas, I don't chase the paper, but I'm more generous. I don't take your drugs, yet I got more peace. I don't have as many followers, but I got more friends. I don't have all your toys, but I got more joy. I'm not going to live your way. I'm not gonna compromise in your way. And because of that, I'm gonna be 10 times better because my life is built on Jesus. Not shifting sand. I'm built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I'm 10 times better. Come on, somebody. Somebody say 10 times. 10 times better. Not just a little bit better, 10 times better as I do it God's way. And I'm not gonna compromise, not gonna compromise. Then King Nebuchadnezzar gets this crazy idea. He's like, here's what we should do. We should build a 90 foot tall statue out of gold and we're gonna make everybody worship it. (laughs) This is awesome. All right, and so they come together. He brings the entire nation together and he has this herald stand up, Daniel 3 verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, as soon as Beyonce starts playing. (laughs) What, Drake? Doja Cat? Who? As soon as they start playing, you must fall down and worship this 90-foot tall statue, this image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. 
Well, the first test in Babylon is, are you gonna live our way? The second test in Babylon is, are you going to bow to Babylon's beliefs? Come on, and the drums start playing. And when the beat drops, so do the people. And the entire nation bows down. I got, a, I got an observation for you guys. When everybody else is bowing down, it, made those, it makes those who are standing up look even taller. And the whole nation is bowing down, except for three young Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refuse to bow. They refuse to bow. And you know how it works? Snitches get stitches. The, 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 the haters, they go and tell on them. And Nebuchadnezzar is furious. And he demands that they bow. Daniel 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Come on, praise God. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Come on, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. I will not be pressured to bow down to anyone but God. No one is worthy. No belief is worthy of me bowing down except for bowing down to Christ. And I believe that even in that place, God will protect me. But if he does not, I still won't bow to Babylon. I still won't bow to Babylon's beliefs. And Nebuchadnezzar is like, furious, he's irate, and he commands uh, uh, the fiery furnace to be stoked seven times hotter. That's Hebrew. Seven is like infinitely more. Like, like, just make it as hot as you possibly can. And they tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the soldiers walk down. And as they're throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire, the fire's so hot that it kills the soldiers. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, and then verse 24, King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet, and in amazement, he asked his advisors, wait, 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 weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. Well, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. And Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace, and he shouted out, hey, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, best friends, hey, come on out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came out of the fire and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, all the, all the royal officials, they crowded around them to examine them. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was not even the smell of fire on them. I love this. These guys had been put into the worst possible storm, yet they came out not even smelling like smoke. How many of you know it's possible to be in the fire without being on fire? And what happens is these guys, these guys get a testimony, and I love this. These guys get a testimony. In essence, people look at them and they say, hey, you don't look like what you've been through. You don't even smell like smoke. You came through unsinged. And in that day, we'll be able to say, yeah, it's because I built on the rock and God sustained me. I didn't build on sand, so therefore the fire did not harm me. He sustained me in the storm. And yeah, I've been through hell and back, and I didn't get singed. I don't even smell like smoke because my God has preserved me in the fire. 
And listen, this is one of our greatest testimonies, family, is that when, when we live as those on the rock in a world full of those who've built on sand, that when the storm hits and their life falls apart, they're able to look at us and be like, wait a second, you went through the same thing that I went through. How are you not even smelling like smoke? And in that day, that's when we overcome by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, and we're able to share what God has done in our lives and how he's preserved us. Because listen, the second test in Babylon is, are you going to bow to Babylon's belief? The second answer in Babylon is, I will never bow. I'll never bow. Come on, family, let's say it together. I will not bow. So one more time. I will not bow. And right now, I guarantee you this, some of you are thinking, well, I've never been told to bow in my entire life. Yes, you have. You're told about every single day. This is why I taught this to the students, because I said, hey, in public school, you're taught to bow to the thinking of evolution. That all this, that something came from nothing, right? And you're taught to deny God. And if you do not bow to the belief of evolution, you're, you're thrown into the fiery furnace of, of, of ridicule, right? And listen, every single one of us, you're, you're, you're told, bow to Washington, Come on, bow to the Democratic Party, bow to the Republican Party, bow to Trump, bow to Biden, bow to any man, bow to them. And if you won't, you're called, oh, you're one of those faith people. Listen, man, some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but I'm gonna trust in the name of our God. You're told to bow to the demon of abortion. And if you won't, you're like, oh, you're one of those people. Yeah, one of the people who actually believes in life. Yeah, I'm one of those people. You're told, you're told to, to bow to, to your workplace. And if you won't put your family on the altar of work, then you're told, man, you're gonna be poor your entire life. You, listen, every, 90 foot tall statue. Every single day in our country right now in this season, this is, the, this is the 90 foot tall statue in our season. Every single day in this country, a 90 foot tall LGBTQ flag is unfurled. And we're said, bow to it, bow to it. And if we will not say that God loves men having sex with men, if we will not say God loves little teenage girls chopping their breasts off to act like men, then we're saying you're on the wrong side of history. Come on, you're, you're, you're actually an enemy of God. You don't believe in love. Listen, man, you may hate me. You may cancel me. And I believe that God will preserve my reputation. I believe that God will preserve my career. I believe that God will preserve my life. But even if he does not, I will never bow and I will love you all day long. I'll wrap my arms around you and tell you about the most loving, redeeming, liberating one who's ever been here, and his name is Jesus. I'm not gonna doubt about a sexual morality, living with your girlfriend, living with your boyfriend, bowing to money, bowing to pride, bowing to politics. No, 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 no. We're the people of God, and we bow to no one but God himself. Bow to no one. Bow to no one. Three. Then a new king comes to power in, in, in Babylon, King Darius. He's up at North Cobb today. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we see Daniel. We catch back up with Daniel's story. And Daniel has been so blessed by God. He's 10 times better, man. He's 10 times better than everybody else. And, and because he took his calling seriously, he worked at it. He didn't just sit around playing video games all day. That God actually promoted him through the ranks to the point where he's actually be about to be made number one. Here it is, Daniel 6, verse three. It says, now Daniel had so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now at this, everybody's like, wait a second, we can't let that happen. 
So the administrators, the satraps, they tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. Pause, I love this, man. Couldn't be more relevant. Just yesterday, somebody gets tossed out of the house of reps. Listen, what they say right here, can you imagine somebody trying to find a charge, an accusation against somebody in our government, but they can't find an accusation? That was Daniel. Daniel lived above reproach. Daniel lived for God. Daniel obeyed God. Daniel honored God. And so when all the haters tried to find something to accuse him with, they had nothing. And so they had to, find, they had to change strategies so they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Man, I love that. Listen, guys, may the only accusation against us that sticks is that we just love Jesus too much. That's the only thing they can pin on us. <laughs> like, I don't know about that guy. He loves Jesus. Thank you. Like, thank you very much. And so what they do, they, 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 they come up with this plot. And so they go to King Darius and they say, hey, King, we got this great idea. You're such an awesome person. And so you should make a law that nobody can pray to anyone other than you for the next month. And so he's, he, he, he's a godless guy. He's like, well, that, he, he didn't know that they were trying to trick him. So he's like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. And they're, and they're like, so, so anybody who prays, anybody except you, we'll just throw them into the lion's den. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that. Gives it a green light. And so the third test in Babylon is this. Are you going to leave God when life gets hard? Are you gonna leave God when it costs you something? Are you gonna leave God when the storms swirl all around you and it looks like God's not there? And you gotta love Daniel. So here it is, um, Daniel 6, verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. In other words, windows wide open. He's not hiding. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. When Daniel learned that if anyone prayed to anybody except for the king, that they'd be thrown into the lion's den, listen, he changed nothing. He changed nothing. How e listen, how easy would it have been to just like, Chill it on the God talk for a month. Come on, just go into your work and just pray quietly. <laughs> nah, man. Here's the deal. Daniel prayed three times a day when things were good, so he prayed three times a day when things were bad. He was the same person. He was consistent. That even when the storm came, he didn't, he didn't abandon God. He didn't jump ship. He stayed consistent. So... The haters report him. And King Darius realizes, wait a second, these guys were conspiring against Daniel this whole time. I don't wanna do this, Daniel. I'm sorry, but I have, to, I, have to keep, I have to keep the word. Like I made the law, I have to keep it. And so they reluctantly have Daniel thrown into the lion's den overnight, but the king can't sleep all night because he's like, this is my dude. This is my number one guy. And so he runs back first thing in the morning. And I love this, Daniel 6, verse 22. King Darius shouts out, he said, Daniel, Daniel. And then a voice comes from within the lion's den. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. 
And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And I told you, snitches get stitches. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and kids. They don't play back then, bro. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. And then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, and he proclaim, may you prosper greatly. And today I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Come on with the come on. So guys, let me, let me make a strong statement. As Christians in America, it is not our job to make America great again. It is our job to make Christianity counterculture again to stop conforming to the world in which we find ourselves in. And when everybody else is bowing, you stand strong and you live for God. And I'm telling you this, guys, when everybody else is bowing and when you stand, it can actually revolutionize the nation and the community and the workplace that you find yourselves in. The king was so impacted by Daniel's life that he changed the nation. You understand, you can influence the influencers when you live for God. And so listen, the third test in Babylon is, are you gonna leave your God when life gets hard? The third answer in Babylon is, I will live for God no matter what happens. I'll live for God no matter what it costs me. I'll live for God no matter what comes. Can we say that together? I will live for God no matter what happens. One more time. I will live for God no matter what happens. And guys, every single one of us will be tested in this. Every single one of us will be tested to see if you'll, you'll leave God when it looks like he's left you. Because remember, it's not if the storms come. It is when the storms come and the storms are gonna beat on your life. But here's the beautiful thing that we learned from the story of Daniel, okay? Is that living for God doesn't necessarily exempt you from the storms, but it does ensure that you'll make it through the storm. Because listen, God has promised not to spare, but to sustain God did not spare them from the fiery furnace, but God sustained them in the fiery furnace. God did not spare Daniel from the lion's den, but he did sustain Daniel in the lion's den. He does not promise to spare you from the storm, but he does promise to sustain you in the storm. Why? Because he's not taking you to the valley of the shadow of death. He's taking you through the valley of the shadow of death. He will not abandon you in the valley, but I promise you the same God who's the God of the mountaintops is the God of the valley, and he's taking you through. And listen, the storms are gonna come to us all, but I got good news for us guys because there's a fourth man in the fire. There's another man in the fire, and you may be going through the fieriest trial of your life. Mama may have just died. Something close to you may have just fallen apart. You may be wondering how I'm going to make the ends meet at the end of the day, but I got to promise that there's another man in the fire. God will never forsake you in the fire. God will never leave you alone in the fire. And so many of us, even today, are asking God to get us out of our circumstances, but instead of getting us out, God jumps in. And listen, if you will persist, if you will remain built, then you will come out stronger on the other side. 
And your life will become a testimony that could even change a nation. So let me say this, guys, on our graduation day. If you have built your life on Jesus, if you conform your life to his, if you lock arms with the Holy Spirit to live this thing out, if you live by, like your life motto is, God will save me from these storms. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, I'll never compromise, I'll never bow, and I'll live for him no matter what comes. If your life remains founded on Christ, even in the pain and the storms and the fire, then you will never fall. Because God keeps his promises. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's do this. Let's stand up to our feet. Come on. I think this is important. Let's bow our heads. Let's let's pray to the faithful one. (sighs) Father, here's, here's here's a real sobering reality. There's a lot of storms. A lot of us are going through troubles. A lot of us are going through trials. Some really big. Some don't. Maybe we're in a season where it's not that bad, but we know this. The waves come. But thank you for your promises. Thank you that you're not a man that you should lie. That all your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So we can trust you. And maybe even the best thing that some of us need to say even right now is, God, I trust you in the storm. I trust you in the storm. I know you'll never leave me. Even when sometimes it looks like you have, I know you'll never leave me. I know you'll never forsake me. I know you're with me always, even to the very end. But here's a really dark place to be, is when you're going through the storm alone. Because maybe some of us today have never stepped into faith in Jesus Christ. So you're in the fire alone. There's not anybody else with you. You're in the storm alone. Your foundation is eroding because maybe you've built on your emotions or on money or success or whatever it is. And today's the day where God says, I have an offer to make you. (laughs) If you exchange that sand for rock, if you exchange death for life, if you exchange sin for holiness, then I'll sustain you no matter what comes. I'll give you joy even in the chaos. I'll give you peace even in the storm. I'll give you holiness even in the midst of a world that's running ragged. And so today's the day for some of us to say yes to Christ, maybe for the first time. And so if that's you today, here's what I wanna do. I wanna lead you in a prayer. Here's the deal, nothing magical about words, but what it is, it's the confession of the heart. And so family around these guys, I want you to pray with them. Let's pray like this. Say, Jesus, today, I wanna build my life on you. So I repent from my sin, all of my sand, (laughs) all of my rebellion, everything I've built on that's not you, God, I leave it. It's secondary. I leave it behind and I turn to you to build my life on Jesus. Jesus Christ is my Lord. He's my King. He's my Savior. And I trust you. I put my whole eternity into your hands. Make me new. Save me. I trust you. You've got the rest of my life. And because of that, right now, I'm forgiven by faith in Jesus. 
I am free from sin. Death has no hold on me. And I'm a child of God in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. I wanna pray one more prayer. Now that a lot of us are on the same page. God, we are going through a lot of storms and trials internationally, some of us in our own homes, some of us in our own heads, some of us in our own bodies. But God, we trust you. Come on, family. We just, some of you need to say this really strong. I trust you. Listen, there may be some, your husband might be going off the rails. Your wife might be going crazy. Kids are just, what in the world? Job, life, emotions, anxiety, depression. God, we trust you. God, that you will sustain us when we're built on you. Mm, We trust you. And I don't know about you guys, but I've never been more glad that I built my life on Jesus. And so here's what we're gonna do. On our graduation day, we're gonna worship together. And um, before we leave, we're gonna sing a song that's kind of been an anthem for us here throughout this year as we've been building on Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And we're gonna proclaim that Christ is our firm foundation. And it's not just lyrics on the screen. This is the deepest truth reality of who we are. So let's worship like we're free. Let's worship like we're forgiven. And let's worship like we're secure in Jesus. Let's worship together. Amen.